The title of this sermon this evening is simply this, Christ will build his church. Because that passage we just read, that's what it's all about. Christ will build his church. Now, the remainder of chapter 11 of Romans is one of the most difficult and hotly debated sections of the New Testament. Actually, probably one of the most debated sections of the whole Bible. And the interpretation and the application of these verses that I'm going to be pursuing this evening and next week, they're actually fiercely contested by many evangelicals, even within the Reformed constituency. Uh, indeed, in terms of how many there are in a couple of different camps as to how these verses should be understood, uh, this perhaps is the minority view. There are some very eminent and well-known pastors and theologians, past and present, with whom I disagree. There are also some who are equally esteemed who hold to the view which I'm going to be bringing you, or more or less the same. I'll say a little more about that next time, because the pinnacle of the disagreement lies at verse 26 of chapter 11. But that's for next week, so make sure you're here. Our focus this week is verses 11 to 24. And these verses are particularly important for when we get to verses 25 and 26. These verses interpret largely verses 25 and 26 for us, if we're paying attention. So we're going to divide these verses into three sections. And we'll look first of all at verses 11 to 15. Christ builds his one church, Jew and Gentile. One church, Jew and Gentile. Probably one of the hardest lessons that we have to learn as Christians is that God's thoughts and ways are not our thoughts and ways. And that's really frustrating because we just love to think that we are very wise in our own opinions, don't we, if we're honest? That's precisely why in verse 25 of this chapter and in verse 16 of the next chapter, Paul earnestly exhorts us not to be wise in our own opinions. Your opinions will never match up to the wisdom of God, so stop trying. My opinions will never match up to the wisdom of God, so I must stop trying. And tied to that is our conviction that in our natural state, we're we, our conviction is that we're at complete liberty, uh, complete liberty to come up with our own way of doing things. And that I, for one, have some pretty smart ideas about how things ought to be done. We thought about that a little 
on Wednesday, didn't we? About the regulative principle from God's word. But those kinds of attitudes reap havoc in churches as all manner of disputes then give way to division and cause disunity. God's thoughts and ways are far above ours. And you know, God often chooses to leave us completely stumped. But through them, he demonstrates and proves his divine authority and his power. Only God could do it like that and achieve such a glorious result. He uses the weak things, the foolish things in the eyes of the world in order to shame and bring low those who consider themselves wise and strong. This is so often God's way. And there's something of that in this passage as Paul explains how it is that God calls out of the world his elect, both Jew and Gentile. He's firmly established by now this truth, that Israel as a nation no longer has a role to play in God's gospel age. It's back in verse 6 of chapter 9 where Paul establishes this vital truth. You now have to consider two different Israels. There's the nation of Israel, those who are physically descended from Abraham, and there's God's true spiritual Israel, the Israel of promise, the Israel which consists of God's elect, of like faith with Abraham. Go back and read chapter 9 verse 6 again where Paul speaks of those two different Israels. With Israel the nation only some are God's elect ones and Paul goes on to refer to them as the remnant But actually, that's a phrase, as we've already seen, which comes from the Old Testament. It's found lots of times in the Old Testament. We read one example of that this morning. This word remnant, it's not Paul's idea. It's not Paul's phrase. He's shown us in the Old Testament, that's how it's always been. You just have to interpret and understand the Old Testament scripture correctly. That's why he's quoting from the Old Testament over and over and over again in this letter to the Romans. Many of these elect ones that he's talking about are not from national Israel. They're drawn from the Gentile world. Everyone who's not a Jew. But they are also part of God's true spiritual Israel. And this will be clarified in a wonderful way in the remainder of this chapter. But Paul first is going to speak of how both elect Jews and elect Gentiles are added to the church. He's been thinking much about the vast numbers of Jews who've rejected Christ and the gospel. 
Has the word of God failed? In chapter 9, no. Has God failed? Verse 14 of chapter 9, no. Has Israel not heard or understood? Chapter 10, verses 18 to 21, no, that's not their problem either. Has God cast all of Israel away then? That's verse 1 of chapter 11. We looked at it last Sunday. No, there's always been and still is. There always will be during the gospel age a remnant in Israel who will believe in Christ. And then at verse 11 this evening, well, have they stumbled so that they will fall completely and that's the end of the story. Is this just a bewildering grinding to a halt of everything that God's been doing? No, says Paul, perish the thought. God is using Israel's fall to bring salvation to many Gentiles. The gospel now requires none of Israel's national or ceremonial laws, as was the case during Old Testament days. God's moral law still stands. God's moral law still applies to all who come to faith in Christ. But Paul had many battles with converted Jews, trying to explain to them that their beloved Old Testament rites and rituals, their food laws, temple worship, circumcision was a big one, None of those things are needed anymore. All of those things associated with national Israel have been put to one side through Christ himself. It's just about the gospel now. Actually, it's always just been about the gospel. Paul would say to the Corinthians, do you remember when I was with you, I knew nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified. And all who are saved and are baptised are gathered into the church, Jew or Gentile, Jew and Gentile. And the fall of Israel, God is using to bring in his elect Gentiles. But, says Paul, that's not the end of it. God's bringing in of Gentiles, he uses to provoke the Jews. What does he mean by that? Well, he wants the Jews to sit up and take notice of what God is doing amongst the Gentiles. And God will use that to bring in his elect Jews. So the world, and the Gentile world especially, has been enriched through the advance of the gospel. Verse 12, the riches that have come to the world through the gospel. And how more wonderful again the advance of the gospel amongst the Jews. The world is made rich by those Gentiles who come to faith in Christ, Paul is saying, and richer still when those of national Israel also come to faith in Christ. That's what Paul is teaching here, the riches that come to the world. And if you think of it, you look at our own nation, Take, for example, the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries and see how Christian men and women 
and Christian values had such an influence for good in so many areas of national life. The world was made richer by the gospel. Just think of it, health, education, housing, sanitation, welfare of children, women, workers in industry, law and order, the judicial system, philanthropy. So many Christians involved in all of these kinds of things for good in the world. Even those outside of Christ, outside of the gospel, were enriched through those who were coming to faith. And what blessings will saved Jews bring? Look at you and me, says Paul in verse 13. It was this converted Jew who has been the foremost evangelist amongst you Gentiles. How great is that? What a blessing has this Jew been for you? And that's what he's meaning when he speaks of magnifying his ministry. That Look what it's done amongst the Gentiles and oh, that through this I might also yet reach some of my own fellow Israelites with the gospel, that some of them might be saved. His ministry has gone from strength to strength amongst the Gentiles and God is using the Gentiles to provoke the Jews that they might be saved also. Oh, that the Lord would use me in that way amongst my Jewish brethren is on Paul's heart that I might also save some of them. Verse 14. So Paul is teaching that Israel's fall, national Israel's fall, has given him this rich ministry amongst the Gentiles. And part of his motivation in his ministry to the Gentiles is that God would use it to bring salvation to some of the rest who are the elect of God in Israel, that they would come to know Christ. And Paul is putting it like this, for Jews like me, Paul is saying, to be saved, who had wandered so very far from God in our, in our supposed self-righteousness, and as a Pharisee of Pharisees, there was none more convinced of his own self-righteousness than Saul of Tarsus. Well, for us to be in that condition, having wandered so very far away from the truths of God, for Jews like me, like that, to be born again, well, that truly is life from the dead. If anyone was dead in trespasses and sins, it was me, Remember how he called himself the chief of sinners? There is no one more dead in their sins than I was, says Paul. That's his heart. And yet I've been given new life. That really is life from the dead, Paul is saying. And Christ is building his church. And it's important to recognize in these verses two important things. Paul is still only speaking in terms of God's elect who are going to be saved and of a remnant in Israel. The burden on Paul's heart is that he might save some of his brethren. He's not making bold claims, I'm going to go out and save all of Israel. 
Oh, that the Lord might use me to save some. And he's talking about how it has been ever since he began as a minister of the gospel. He's talking about how it is right now as he's writing. And he's talking about how he expects it, conti- how he expects it to continue in this new era of the gospel of Christ. This, says Paul, is how Christ is building his church. And then to help us in our understanding, he uses a wonderfully simple picture. God's single olive tree. And that's in verses 16 to 18 to begin with. And it's a picture that God has one single olive tree. God set aside for himself a people and the first fruits of that people were their fathers in the faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They are the first fruits. They were the beginning. They were how God established this thing at the start. They were true believers in God's spiritual Israel not merely the founders of national Israel, although they were that, but these were also believers in God's true spiritual Israel. That's why they're described here as holy. Picture your forefathers as the root of an olive tree, verse 16. The root is holy. The branches of that tree must likewise be holy. They must be of like faith and trust in God. Now, this olive tree has branches on it which, to begin with, are the physical descendants of Abraham. But many of those branches are not holy branches. Many of them are in unbelief. Many of them. So what must happen to them? They are broken off so that they are no longer part of that olive tree. Verse 20 states clearly that the branches which are broken off are broken off because of their unbelief. So you have all of these branches which are physical descendants of Abraham but none of them believe in God. None of them trust God. None of them know God. So they're dead branches. So God snaps them all off and they're gone. The tree is still there, but those dead branches are no more. So if the unbelieving branches are broken off, what are the branches which remain? Well, they're the branches in Israel who believe. They're the branches in Israel that have faith in the Lord. They are the remnant that Paul's been speaking about who still know and love God. And the olive tree now is starting to look rather bare in places because there were many in Israel who were in their unbelief. Read through the Old Testament and just see the judgment that God brings against unbelieving, disobedient Israel. 
Read of the hundreds of thousands who lost their lives in the wilderness and never reached the land of Canaan, having left Egypt. And so the olive tree is starting to look very bare indeed, as so many of these branches are broken off because of their unbelief. But look, just over there, there's another olive tree. This is a wild olive tree. This is the olive tree of the Gentiles. And the gospel goes to them. And a good number of them believe. So what happens to them? Well, their branch is on this wild olive tree. So what God does is he breaks them off the wild olive tree and he grafts them into his one olive tree, which is his true spiritual Israel. And where the old branches are gone, these new branches are grafted in. We're removed from the wild olive tree. Paul talks about us being separated from the world, doesn't he? We're taken away from where we used to be and we're grafted in. Where the unbelieving Jewish branches have been broken off, believing Gentile branches are grafted in. Each branch is an individual believer. And the result is that God has one single healthy tree and all the branches are believing branches. And once that's done, the distinction between Jew and Gentile is no more. Now, you're either a believing branch, part of this olive tree, or you're an unbelieving branch which has no part in it. And that's it. And once again, as in so many places in the Word of God, you're presented with these two choices. You're either in this olive tree or you're not. You're either believing in Christ or you're not. You're either born again or you're not. In so many different ways, in so many different pictures, with so many different types of words, the Bible repeats this same message over and over again. And here in Romans 11 is this. Are you a believing branch in this olive tree or are you not? If you're not, you're cut off, you have no part in it, you have no place in it. So that's the question for you this evening that you must consider. Do you have a part in this olive tree, which is God's true spiritual Israel, of you being grafted in, in Christ, by faith, through God's grace? And then in verse 18, Paul says, now, you Gentile believers, because, of course, in lots of the churches which Paul established, the majority of the believers were Gentiles. That was certainly true in the Roman church. It was certainly true in the Ephesian church. We'll come to that church uh, shortly. Now, you Gentile believers, verse 18, don't you be getting too big for your boots. No boasting. Don't become boastful and start looking down on Israel. Because with all that Paul's saying, that's perhaps how the Gentile believers were beginning to think and feel. 
Do remember, says Paul, it's from Israel that the root of this olive tree is formed. If you're a Gentile believer, Abraham is as much your father in the faith as he is for any Jewish believer. And in other letters, Paul wrote, we know, of course, that he had to do battle with Jewish believers who thought that they were cut above Gentile believers on account of their Jewish heritage. Some were believing that Gentile Christians must also observe traditional Jewish customs, such as circumcision, even to be a Christian. Here, his concern is with all this talk of only a remnant being saved, that this majority Gentile church in Rome may begin to think very poorly of Jewish converts. He's constantly battling for Christians to maintain healthy, balanced, biblical views. And this image of the olive tree, it's such a helpful illustration for us at this point. But the concept of the nation of Israel is not needed now. Picture it instead like this olive tree. God's true spiritual Israel, which is also the church of Christ. God has only one nation, one people, one tree. Paul's concern now is with individual branches who are individual people grafted into this tree. This is what matters. This is what's important. Are you or are you not a branch in this tree? And it's quite similar, isn't it, to when Jesus spoke of himself as the vine and you are the branches. There's some similarities here, aren't there? And there, in many ways, the same thing is said. Are you abiding in Christ and are you attached to him? These two pictures of vine and olive tree overlay one another in many ways and, and they're speaking about the same branches. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that you this evening? Now back in verses 5 and 6 of Romans 11, we looked at this last week, Paul reminded us there that salvation for every single believer is all of grace. And now he reminds us that a branch in this tree is a branch in this tree because of saving, believing faith. This is not to abandon the concept of grace. You're supposed to keep bringing that with you and you put that alongside these other two. Believing faith. A Christian is a Christian because of saving, believing faith. And a Christian continues to be a Christian by remaining faithful in believing. You become a Christian through believing faith. You remain a Christian by remaining faithful in believing. And that's our final point this evening. As we look at verses 19 to 24. Grafted in branches have believing faith and remain faithful in believing. Look at verse 20. And here's a question. What causes any branch not to be a branch in God's olive tree. Unbelief. 
And what do all the branches which are in God's, God's olive tree have in common in verse 20? Faith. And remember that whilst belief and faith, they're not actually the same thing, but they're often used interchangeably in the Bible. Because when the Bible speaks of believing in or on Christ, it's a belief which incorporates trusting faith. And when the Bible speaks of faith, it's a very specific faith, which is based upon all that you believe, all that you believe to be true about God, all that you believe to be true about his gospel and about Christ. So in verse 21... You Gentile believers, like all believers, need to be constantly examining yourselves to see that you are in the faith. Because you must continue in the faith. You might believe yourself to be a branch in the olive tree, just like the natural branches, that's the Jewish branches. But the Lord knows those who truly are his. And if you lack true saving faith, you too will be cut off. Some Christians only ever want to talk about God's love and God's goodness. That, that's what we need to focus on. Nothing else. Nothing else. Just God's love and goodness. They think that when you talk to unbelievers, you should shy away from all that stuff about judgment and hell and only talk about how God loves them. As the old song goes, you've got to accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative. That's what gets people saved. But that's not gospel preaching. And that wasn't Paul's ministry. Look at verse 22. You have to hold together two things. The goodness of God and the severity of God. Both. God isn't merely, the gospel isn't merely, hey everyone, become a branch. The gospel also includes, hey everyone, if you refuse to believe, you'll be a cut-off branch and you'll burn forever. God's goodness, yes, and God's severity. Remember the severity of God on those who fell, he says. Isn't that what lies behind Paul's anguish and tears? in verse 2 of chapter 9? Isn't that what caused him to weep over unbelieving Israel? The severity of God that they are now under without excuse before him? You likewise are without excuse if you're remaining in unbelief this evening? Paul is filled with grief. Hundreds of thousands of Israelites through the generations who are all branches that have been cut off by God. 
Because yes, God is a God of goodness and love. But he's also a God of severe justice. Remember the goodness of God. When you who were far off were called by him. You who were of the wild olive tree. Who were taken off that tree and grafted in to God's olive tree. Remember his goodness to you. But also you must be faithful to continue to the end. Just as Jesus in his image of himself as the vine and the branches is exhorting believers, you must continually abide in me. You must keep on abiding in me. You must remain as a branch full of the life that only I can give you. It's all of grace. It's all of believing and it's all of faith. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive in Christ. By grace, you've been saved. It's not of yourselves, the gift of God. We've been raised up, we've been made to sit together with Christ in the heavenly places. We're his workmanship, created in Christ for good works. Well, of course, many of you recognize that as being the verses that Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. And actually, it's really interesting to see what Paul says next in the remainder of that chapter, Ephesians chapter 2. Because from verse 11, Paul actually demonstrates in Ephesians 2 the consistency of his teaching on all of these issues. Listen to how he continues to the Ephesian church, which is also predominantly a Gentile church. He says this, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that's those Jewish believers I was talking about who looked down on Gentile believers. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In other words, you were that wild olive tree. It's different language in Ephesians 2, but he's talking about the same thing. Then he goes on, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you were that wild olive tree. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Being brought near is the same as being grafted in. For Christ himself is our peace, who has made both. What he means by both is Jew and Gentile. Both one. He only has one olive tree. He's broken down the middle wall of separation. He's abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man, 
from the two. That's another way of talking about God having just one olive tree. It's just a different language, different picture. It's the same truth. Thus God makes peace that he might reconcile them both, that is Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross. He came and preached peace to you who are far off, Gentiles in the wild olive tree, and to those who were near, unbelieving Jews in God's olive tree. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you're no longer strangers, you're no longer foreigners, you're fellow citizens with the saints, you're grafted in. Members of the household of God. He only has one household. That's his one olive tree. You're grafted in. You've been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's the holy root of the tree. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, he's only got one, being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. He's only got one temple in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So you see how Paul in different places uses different language, uses different pictures, but he's always saying the same thing. So back in Romans 11, and verses 22 and 23, Paul concludes his olive tree illustration by reaffirming that unbelieving Jews are just like unbelieving Gentiles. In this, they too need to come to Christ in believing, saving faith, so that they may be grafted back in where they belong, but only if they believe in Christ. Paul does acknowledge that there is a bit of a difference in that the Jew has grown up amongst the branches of this olive tree, not in the wild one over there. And earlier on in this letter, Paul has spoken of all of the spiritual privileges that every Israelite has enjoyed, but turned their back on. So for a converted Jew... It's a bit like being grafted in again to where they belong, but only through faith and believing in Christ by God's grace. The Jew is nevertheless in as much need of conversion and grafting in as the Gentile is. And if God will graft into his good tree those branches which are wild by nature, that's the Gentiles, how much more will these natural branches, that's the Jews, those who were born into the nation of Israel with all of their associated blessings, how much more will God graft them in if they too will trust in Christ? And so Christ is building his church. Jew, Gentile, it matters not. Are you a believer? is your hope and your faith and your trust in Christ. Are you grafted in to God's olive tree? This is how Christ builds his church. This is how Christ has been building his church 
this is how he's doing it now, and this is how he'll continue to do it, is what Paul is teaching us here. It's all of grace, and it's all of saving, trusting, believing faith in Jesus Christ. The question is, where are you this evening? Are you still far off? Are you still a wild branch? If you are, will you not even this evening turn to Christ that he might draw you near, that the Father might graft you in? Would you not know his goodness toward you in Jesus? Or will you remain under his severity in your unbelief? These are the two choices that face you this evening and tomorrow and the day after and next week and next year and on the judgment day this is what will decide where you will spend eternity. Do you really want to continue for the rest of your days under God's severity and to be cast off for all eternity? And for those of us who are grafted in, how our hearts should rejoice. Such grace such kindness, such love, such compassion, such mercy, such as we could never earn or deserve to be a member of God's household, a branch in this tree. Let us continue in his goodness, with thankfulness, with humility, with joy. For by grace we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves, it is all of God and how we praise him.